everyone. Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, part of the Edge Sports family. It's the Tuesday before week six, which means it's the waiver episode. I'm going to run through all of last week's games to give you my observations on which players you might want to pick up. And also check out my column on footballoutsiders.com if you want specifics on how much fad to bid and whether you should uh, use your number one waiver priority if you're going to end up losing it. So let's jump back to last Thursday's game with the Rams at Seahawks. Todd Gurley obviously owned everywhere in fantasy, but I noticed he had all 15 of the Rams running back carries, and I think more important for his future fantasy value, had two rushing touchdowns. He has four carries within five yards of the end zone since week one compared to just one for Malcolm Brown. Gurley isn't all the way back to where he was as one of the top couple of guys in fantasy, but he's clearly a top 10 fantasy running back right now. His teammate and tight end Gerald Everett had a really nice day with seven catches, 136 yards on 11 targets. But I wouldn't get too fooled or spend too much of my fab money on him. Even with that impressive performance and that heavier volume, up to just 13.8% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share this year. That's just 19th among all tight ends behind guys like Jack Doyle, Vernon Davis, and James O'Shaughnessy, although he is now injured. Um, I just think this was a pretty good matchup. Even before this week, the Seahawks defense was the number 26 DVOA versus tight ends on the season. Um, and they're top 20 against all the different wide receiver groupings and against running backs. So I think this is just a matchup where the Rams were going to use the tight end and Everett was the guy that benefited. I wouldn't consider him a top 15 option, say, at the position the rest of the season. For the Seahawks, Rashad Penny, the running back, was back. Uh, he missed a game with a hamstring injury in week four, but had six carries in this game compared to 27 for Chris Carson. That For the season in his healthy games, I think Penny is back around 25% of the carry share compared to Carson, which is pretty similar to what it was last year. That may tick up a little bit rest of the season, but I think any concerns you had about Carson are now, are now fine. He hasn't fumbled in two straight games after fumbling in each of his first three games. So I think the Seahawks are kind of what you probably expected they were going to be to start the season there. At tight end, Will Disley continues to have an effective season. He didn't score a touchdown, which is kind of surprising because <laughs> I think he had had maybe six touchdowns and seven or eight career healthy starts before this game. And, and Wilson obviously threw four in this game. But he did lead the team with 81 receiving yards and has a 21.5% wide receiver and tight end target share that's 10th at the position. So I think it's not really just a tight end guy that's getting touchdowns and that's blowing his fantasy value. Disley is a heavily involved tight end getting a lot of targets. And I think he's clearly a top 10 option in the position. Meanwhile, DK Metcalf, he's got the same 21.5% wide receiver and tight end target share that Will Disley does, but that's less inspiring for a wide receiver than it is for a tight end. It's just 47th at the position. The last couple of weeks, I was kind of moving away from Metcalf in my articles, but I've realized now that he scored another touchdown in this game, and he leads the league, uh, leads all wide receivers with nine end zone targets on the year, and obviously Metcalf is just a massive player. I think this is probably going to be a Calvin Ridley kind of season from last year where Maybe you're looking at more like 600 to 700 receiving yards, but if he ends up scoring 10 touchdowns, which he easily could, then I think he's still going to be a top 30 fantasy receiver. So I'm going to kind of reverse course here and say that you should own Metcalf even in your shallow leagues, but it'll be kind of a boom and bust situation. It may be a good player to try to sort of play your matchups with and maybe use as a DFS tournament option. Shifting to the Cardinals at Bengals game, uh, this game wasn't super compelling from, from a playoffs perspective, but there were some interesting fantasy things going on here. The main one for me, I think, is Kyler Murray. Two, 253 yards passing is fine, nothing too exciting, but 10 carries for 93 yards and a rushing touchdown on the ground. Over the last three games, he's really improved and increased the amount that he's rushing the ball. And over that three-game period, he's actually on a 1,000-yard rushing pace for the full season. 
I'm not sure that's going to continue exactly, but even if Murray's rushing for 600 to 700 yards per season, that's going to make him a quarterback one, and I think he already is, even as a rookie. Meanwhile, Keyshawn Johnson, he got the the extra playing time here with both Christian Kirk and Demir Bird missing the game with injuries, uh, and he did have seven targets, so he was heavily involved, but converted that just to three catches and 22 yards. Not a good enough fantasy day for you, unfortunately. And I think Christian Kirk could be back maybe in week six against the Falcons. His original ankle injury that looked kind of bad, it doesn't look as bad as it originally feared. And I would follow the news with this because they're playing the Falcons that are maybe the best matchup for wide receivers and especially second wide receivers, something I'll come back to. So depending on whether Kirk plays or whether Keyshawn Johnson is still the number two guy here, I think you're going to want to start that guy in fantasy next week. Meanwhile, for the Bengals, Auden Tate showed pretty clearly that he's the number two guy for this team with six targets, only had three catches for 26 yards, but did have a touchdown. Tyler Boyd really led the way for the Bengals with 14 targets, but no other wide receiver or tight end had more than four. So I think Tate is clearly that guy. A.J. Green, I think, out at least another week, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if it was longer. John Ross is on injured reserve, so the Bengals just don't have a lot of other options right now. Tate is somebody you should probably own in your deeper formats um, just for the time being while he's the, the number two guy for the Bengals. Tyler Rafford at tight end, just two catches, 14 yards, no touchdown on four targets. Really didn't take advantage of what was a top tight end matchup for most teams against the Cardinals this year. And Eifert, he started the year kind of here and is still at a 12.2% wide receiver and tight end target share for the season. So I think he's probably settled into a position as a back end tight end too. Not super exciting for fantasy. Moving to the Bills at Titans, Josh Allen was able to play this game after suffering a concussion the previous week and had a pretty Josh Allen kind of game, 219 passing yards, two touchdowns and an interception, and then 10 carries on the ground, but didn't score a rushing touchdown this week. He didn't really have any ill effects from the concussion though, so I think that's the good sign and he should be fine for the rest of the way. Devin Singletary also missed this game. It's another week with a hamstring injury, and I think that's probably something I should have expected a little bit more considering the Bills are going to be on bye next week. Missing that one game gave him basically a two-week extra window to, to get better and healthy. I would want to pick up Singletary. Maybe you can play your wire a little bit and try to grab him next week. So if you're dealing with buys and such, but Singletary is definitely a player that I'm going to want to have over the second half of the season. I think he's going to be a featured player in this offense later in the year. And then at receiver, Duke Williams, a former Canadian Football League star, uh, he kind of emerged out of nowhere in this game. He had four catches for 29 yards and a touchdown on four targets and played 78% of the offensive snaps, which is right in between John Brown at 82% and Cole Beasley at 65%. No other Bills wide receiver had more than 18% of the offensive snaps. And I think Williams' emergence here prompted the Bills to then trade Zay Jones, their former second-round pick, to the Raiders. So I think Williams is actually going to be a featured part of this offense going forward. And in deeper leagues, I think you should pick him up. I mean, it's not just the former success in the CFL. It's the fact that he's six foot three. Compare that to John Brown, who's 5'11", and Cole Beasley, who's just 5'8". I think Williams may end up being a big part of this team's attack in the red zone and can maybe get some fantasy value from those touchdowns. And then, as mentioned, the Bills are going to be on bye next week. So keep that in mind if, if you own Frank Gore, um, if you own Josh Allen, etc. For the Titans, A.J. Brown, just two catches for 27 yards, no touchdowns on two targets. I think he's he scored a little bit recently, so people were picking him up, but just 17.8% of the wide receiver and tight end target share is 64th at the position. I think you could probably avoid him in your leagues. Although I will say that he had a touchdown nullified on a legal forward pass that I think wasn't. You know, I think Mayfield was, um, or Marietta was behind the line, so I think that, that should have st- stood. But either way, I don't think Brown is, is a fantasy-worthy player right now. 
Um, and Delaney Walker, kind of a bad day, one catch for 10 yards on just two targets. After a really hot start to the season, he's fallen back to a 23.4% wide receiver and tight end target share. That's ninth among tight ends. And I think that's really probably where Walker should live. He's, he's a back-end tight end one. I think he's got similar value to Greg Olson and similar health concerns. So I think it's a guy that you can use him in your shallow leagues, but isn't a guy you're necessarily going to be excited about every week. Moving to the Bears at Raiders, uh, this game in London, uh, Anthony Miller was probably the biggest surprise. Just four catches and 52 yards, no score, but had seven targets. So quite a few there. But I wouldn't get too excited about Miller uh, even though Javon Wims had just one target and no catches on the day, Wims played seventy-eight, uh, played 93% of the offensive snaps, and Miller played just 78%. I think when Taylor Gabriel comes back, Miller's going to be the big loser in this offense and, and really won't be fantasy worthy. Meanwhile, with the Bears on bye next week, um, I think that you know Gabriel's probably going to be back from his concussion by the time they play again in Week 7. So just leave Miller uh, on the wire. I don't think you need to add him right now. For the Raiders, Josh Jacobs had the monster day, 26 uh, carries, 123 yards, and two touchdowns. Also added 20 receiving yards on three catches on four targets. So, I mean, this is a very impressive performance here, 4.9 yards per carry for the season, and he's had 4.4 yards per carry in four straight games. And I think, you know, clearly Jacobs was a hit as a first-round pick at running back, uh, regardless of what you think about running back value. He looks like a really good player. But also important, I think the Raiders entering this game were already top 10 in adjusted line yards through four games. And I have to assume they're higher now. I mean, after they did this to what is a very good run defense and very good defense overall in the Bears. So I think you can feel really good about Jacobs the rest of the season. He's clearly a running back one. And I mentioned too that the Bills traded Zay Jones to the Raiders. So that's a consideration for this team when they come back from the bye in week seven. They've had some some injuries and already had kind of a thin core of receivers at wide receiver, so that may be a, a nice boost for them, but probably not a shallow league guy. I think Tyrell Williams is pretty clearly the number one option for that for that wide receiving group, and I think he's a very good player. He'll be fine in maybe a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three, starting again in week seven. At the Bucks and Saints, uh, Ronald Jones, after having the breakout week four game, just nine carries and two targets, I mean, and three targets this week. Peyton Barber had a similar total with eight carries and one target. So I would say that, yeah, that's, I mean, it's a little disappointing and, you know, you may be tempted to drop Jones, but I really wouldn't. I think that this was a little bit more encouraging than you probably think it was. The real trick here is that they were playing a Saints team that cuts running plays by 16%, which is the second most in football. And the Bucks really had an unfavorable game script for most of the game. And so the fact that it was even kind of an even split here, I think is good news for Jones' future value. Jones is really more the hammer in this offense. So I kind of compare him to Sonny Michelle and Peyton Barber to, to more like a Rex Burkhead in this offense. So in the games where the Bucks are behind and have to pass more, that's really where Barber's going to be more involved. You know, it, there's going to be plenty of games in the future where the Bucks are up and doing well, and that's when Jones is going to have his 20-carry kind of games. And I think Jones is also going to have touchdowns in that role. So I would keep him rostered. I think he's probably a running back three, but he's somebody that you're going to want to use in his best matchups the rest of the way. Not a ton of fantasy uh, value here with Chris, uh, a lot of fantasy update, I'd say, to mention here with Chris Godwin, already owned in every league. But another just huge day with seven catches, 125 yards, and two touchdowns on nine targets. Mike Evans blanked, you know, no catches, no yards on three targets in this game. That really caught me by surprise, and I was kind of looking into the Saints defense to figure out what's going on. Obviously, the Saints have, have done well against some good offenses of late, but this really did come out of nowhere. I mean, Marshawn Lattimore is the guy that was kind of shadowing Evans, but he has just a 44% coverage success rate on the year through the first four weeks, 
And the Saints were just 25th in DVOA against number one receivers through the first four weeks. So I would say this is just a real head scratcher here for Evans. And Evans has always been kind of an up and down fantasy player, uh, but I, I can't really explain this one. And so I'm going to say that, you know, maybe Godwin is the fantasy player that you want to own the most in this offense, but I think it's probably going to go back and forth a little bit and you're going to want to own both players. On the Saints offensive side of things, Teddy Bridgewater had a great game here, 26 of 34 for 314 yards and four touchdowns. I think that's probably going to earn him a pretty big offseason contract, but it probably shouldn't, honestly. The Buccaneers increased passing touchdowns per attempt by 43%, which is top five in football. So I think this is really a case where Bridgewater took advantage of it was a plum matchup. Entering the week, he added a below average negative 9.9% DVOA for the season. And he has a just a minuscule 5.6 yard average depth of throw. That's basically Alex Smith. And I kind of think Bridgewater's a poor man's Alex Smith, which I don't really necessarily mean that as an insult, but it's also not a player that you would get excited about if your team signed in, in to be there, I guess, their starting quarterback option. Bridgewater's going to probably do much worse the next two weeks going to Jacksonville and going to the Bears, the teams that cut passing touchdowns per attempt by the most in football, the Jags at 29% and the Bears at 31%. So I think Bridgewater is a stay away for you in fantasy. Maybe you used him in DFS last week and got and got that boost, but you're not going to use him again anytime soon. And then I'll mention too, Drew Brees released a, some video that showed he's already throwing footballs again. So, you know, in your shallower leagues where you have a bench, maybe you can go ahead and pick Brees back up. Uh, he's obviously going to be a useful player, at least in his home matchups in the second half of the season. But I already mentioned the, the upcoming schedule is a bit tough here with Jacksonville and, and Chicago. And then after a Cardinals matchup in week eight, they go on bye. And because of that, that timing of that bye, I really wouldn't be surprised if Breeze set out all the way until week 10. I mean, we'll have to play it by ear, but based on the reports where Breeze has been interviewed, he's not quite ready to come back. And so if he's not going to be coming back till week eight or nine anyway, maybe they'll hold him out for to just to be conservative. We'll have to sort of play it by ear and see, but Breeze probably still a few weeks away, so you don't need to grab him right now in your shallow fantasy leagues unless you can just afford to have him on your bench for a little bit. Next up, we have the Vikings at Giants. Uh, Kirk Cousins, decent game with 306 yards and two touchdowns, but just 27 pass attempts. He basically needed that 11.3 yards per attempt to, to buoy his fantasy day. And I think this kind of continues the pattern that we'd seen originally. It looked a little bit like a home and road split, previously, but I think it's really just a, an opponent-related split where the Vikings are playing a team much worse than them. They're just going to run the ball a lot more than they're going to pass the ball, and Cousins isn't going to be really usable in that. And, and on one hand, that makes Cousins somebody that you probably can play matchups with, but it's still not that exciting because he's only going to have his quote-unquote best matchups against teams that are better than him, and you're going to be relying on garbage time to, to sort of boost his fantasy production. He's a risky player, and I'm really not excited about him in shallow leagues right now. In your super deep leagues, they do have rookie wide receiver B.C. Johnson, who got four uh, catches for 43 yards on four targets in this game. With Josh Stockson on injured reserve and Chad Beeb on injured reserve, Johnson has kind of emerged as the number three wide receiver for this team, but that probably means less for the Vikings than, than it does for other teams. He played 44% of the offensive snaps here. The Vikings use a lot of two tight ends, and obviously they run the ball just constantly, so I'm not sure he's going to have value except in very deep leagues. Meanwhile, for the Giants, uh, Wayne Gallman suffered a concussion in this game, and I, I don't think Saquon Barkley is going to be ready because the Giants have to go to New England to pay the Patriots this Thursday, so you have the short week there. And given that, I don't think Gallman's going to be ready from his concussion either, and I think that leaves rookie John Hilleman to be the, the lead back for the Giants this week. It's really not that exciting of a spot. Obviously, the Patriots are probably going to go up big in this game, which will force the Giants to throw the ball. 
in just any way, they have the number two DVOA run defense. So they're a very efficient run defense anyway. Hilleman hasn't been particularly productive, but you know, if you're in a league where you need a running back that can maybe get 12 to 15 carries, uh, he'll probably do that. And I'm sure he's widely available. Actually, I think only just 1% of leagues in most formats. The wide receiver situation here is a little bit more interesting because uh, unfortunately Sterling Shepard suffered a concussion last week and that was his second concussion of the season. So typically when, when a player suffers multiple concussions in a year, they end up sitting out multiple weeks after that second concussion. And I think that's going to open the door for another receiver for the Giants to step up and be productive alongside Evan Ingram. I think there are really two candidates here. The obvious one is Golden Tate, who made his debut last week, um, coming off that four-game suspension with six targets, just three catches and 13 yards. But I could really see his offensive snap percentage increasing dramatically with Shepard on the shelf now. But then the player that I probably prefer to to grab in in my formats is Darius Slayton, Slayton is a rookie, and really what I like about him is that he brings something different to the Giants' table than all the other receivers as a deep threat. He has a 17.4 yards per reception for the season this year in the NFL, and he had a 20.3 yards per reception at Auburn in his college career. So he's really the only player, except I guess maybe the tight end Ingram, that can stretch the field in this offense. For whenever Shepard gets back, he and Tate are both shallow targets. Saquon Barkley, obviously, a shallow target. I think Slayton, having the differentiation there, makes him a more interesting fantasy option. And it seems like Daniel Jones is more willing to try to stretch the field than Eli, who was more of a shallow target man uh, at quarterback. Next up, we have the Jets at Eagles. Um, the, the Jets continue to be you know, really bad on offense, but I think the Luke Falk experiment is going to end this, this next week. Uh, Sam Darnold looks like, I think we'll probably find out late, either later today or tomorrow whether he'll be cleared to play in week six. But he'll come back and it'll be a, kind of a whole new offense because Demarius Thomas finally made it back this week. Uh, he had actually had nine targets. No other wide receiver tied in on the Jets had more than three. So he's kind of emerged out of nowhere to be their number one receiving option. And then they also get tied in Chris Herndon back, who um, had a four-game suspension kind of like uh, Golden Tate there. Um, Adam Gase wouldn't confirm whether he would actually play Herndon because uh, Adam Gase is kind of a strange dude. But, but Herndon, I think, is actually quite good. Had close to a 10% DVOA in his rookie season last year. I think, really, the Jets may have gotten back they're now two best skill position players, except for maybe Le'Veon Bell in the last week. So it could be just a totally new offense with Darnold back and under center starting in week six. Maybe don't start those guys just yet, but you know, in your deeper formats, maybe grab Thomas and Hernan just to see. And if they can kind of turn things around a little bit, then maybe that can, that can work for you in fantasy in the second half of the season. Uh, for, the, for the Eagles, Jordan Howard, he had 13 carries, 62 yards, and a touchdown where Miles Sanders had nine uh, nine carries, 15 yards, and no touchdowns, but added four catches for 49 yards through the air. So I think this is kind of the workload split that I expect to see now. Um, Howard getting maybe 60% of the carries, but Sanders getting more targets. Um, and since Howard is getting that heavier volume of carries and is probably the, the touchdown scorer, he has six carries within five yards of the end zone on the season compared to just two for Sanders. I think Howard is usable in shallow formats, Although, obviously, this is kind of a crowded situation that's not totally ideal for your shallow league in fantasy. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, uh, I was thinking that maybe he would be back, uh, coming back in week six, but John Clark of NBC Sports Philadelphia reports that he likely won't return before week seven at the earliest. So I think that that means there's another week where Nelson Aguilar could be heavily involved. He played 90% of the team's snaps this last week, although had just one catch in 20 yards. So you're probably just kind of sticking with Alshon Jeffrey there, and, and then, of course, Sacker to tight end. 
For the Ravens at Steelers, Marquise Brown uh, limited to just three catches for 22 yards, but did have a touchdown on his five targets. He was kind of in and out of this game with an ankle injury, but I think he's going to be okay and can continue to be their number one option at wide receiver. He has a 27.5% wide receiver and tight end target share for the season, and that's just 29th among receivers and kind of in range with guys like John Brown, Josh Gordon, and Curtis Samuel, that he's, he's really kind of a similar player to those guys. But I think the one reason why that you're going to be more optimistic for Brown is that he has five end zone targets on the season. It's kind of a shocking total because he's just five foot nine and 170 pounds, not the type of player you think of as being an end zone threat. But he's just so quick and fast that he gets open all over the place, even in short areas of the field. So I think Brown is a little bit better than those guys that I mentioned, and is probably a high-end wide receiver three. He's a definite flex option for you, and in bye weeks, is probably a wide receiver two most weeks. Meanwhile, Mark Andrews also dealing with an injury. He's kind of got a nagging foot injury, but he played through it mostly this week. Wasn't his best effort with five catches and 45 yards and no touchdowns on seven targets. And that could be an issue for him. Like he, he had risen to be a top five tight end for me over the first few weeks. And if this foot injury is going to be a thing, maybe he's more of a back end tight end one. But I think you're probably going to roll with him unless you ended up grabbing a Will Disley, for instance. There's not really that many guys that I'd have ahead of him, even when he's playing hurt. Uh, you know, if, if Andrews does end up missing time, I'll point out that Hayden Hurst might be a handcuffed tight end, something that you don't, you don't really see very often. Um, but again, I don't think Andrews is, is going to miss any time right now. So you're sticking with him and you can leave Hurst on your on your waiver wires, except maybe in your very deep leagues. Uh, for the Steelers, Mason Rudolph suffered a very scary looking concussion on a really big hit. So that's unfortunate. And I'm going to assume that he'll miss at least one week for that, maybe more. That brought in a quarterback that I'd actually never even heard of named Devlin Hodges. He, um, I, Basically looking into him, he was a career, he has a career record now for passing among FCS quarterbacks, he played for Samford, not Stanford, Samford, um, but did very well there, obviously. Um, wasn't drafted this year, but looked pretty capable in relief uh, of Rudolph in this game. Seven for nine passing for 68 yards, didn't really try to do a ton there. But even though I'm not going to be using Hodges in any fantasy leagues for the time being, perhaps he can be good enough to support the receivers for the Steelers who do maintain some fantasy value. And I'll mention that uh, with James Washington suffering a shoulder injury, there's there's no certainty right now with this status. But if he ends up missing time, Deontay Johnson is kind of emerging a little bit. He led the team with eight targets this week. And while he, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Washington have kind of been splitting the workload pretty evenly, if there's really just two of those guys in the mix, then I think Johnson might be usable even in your shallower formats. We're going to have to see sort of how that, that sort of breaks down there with Washington's injury. But Johnson may be a player you should go ahead and pick up just to kind of wait and see what happens there. Shifting over to the Patriots at Redskins, uh, Sonny Michel obviously owned everywhere, but I'll mention that he had a good game, 16 carries for 91 yards and a touchdown. It's actually his first game all year with better than a 4.0 yards per carry average, which is something that I've kind of had my eyes on. I was worried that Michel just really isn't a very effective player, and I was wondering if maybe down the line, Bill Belichick would end up benching him for rookie Damian Harris as the power back. But Harris ended up being a healthy scratch from this game, even though Rex Burkhead was out. So I'm not sure we're close to that, and I think with Michelle performing well in this game, he kind of eased those concerns, at least for a little bit. Meanwhile, with Burkhead, his foot injury knocked him out of this week. I don't think is a long-term issue, so I don't think you really need to worry about that, and you don't need to pick up Brandon Bolden in any of your leagues. Meanwhile, the Patriots released Ben Watson. came as a little bit of a surprise to me. I, I don't know why they bothered talking him out of retirement, um, just if he was going to be released as soon as he was eligible to play, but that's what they did. 
And with Philip Dorsett suffering a hamstring strain that could knock him out a few weeks, the Patriots are kind of running low on receiving options. As such, I think Jacoby Myers could be an interesting pickup in your deeper formats. Just one catch for six yards on two targets this last week, but he played 46% of the offensive snaps for the Patriots compared to just 8% for Gunner. So I think that Myers is the third receiver now um, with just really Julian Edelman and Josh Gordon ahead of him. Could see some, some targets in the next couple of weeks with Dorsett out. For the Redskins, uh, the big news there, I guess, Jay Gruden was fired. I think we probably all saw that coming. Um, but interim head coach Bill Callahan indicated that either Keenum or Colt McCoy would start for the team in week six. So they're not ready to go with Dwayne Haskins yet. I think that's good news for Terry McLaurin, who came back from his hamstring injury to have three catches for 51 yards this week on seven targets. No other Redskins receiver or tight end had more than four. So McLaurin, I think, reestablished there as the number one guy. Should have a much easier road of things in the future, not facing the number one DVOA pass defense in the, in the Patriots. And he, entering the week, had a 34.7% DVOA. So just incredibly good for a young player as a rookie here. I think he can be a wide receiver three for the rest of the year, at least while they have some competent quarterback play from, from either Keenum or Colt McCoy. And then the last Redskin I'll mention here is Chris Thompson. He's really more of a, a PPR option or maybe a deep league option, but seven more targets this week. Up to 35 targets on the season. Only Austin Eckler and Christian McCaffrey have more among running backs. So really getting a lot of volume there, getting a lot of catches. And if you're playing in a league that rewards those with fantasy points, by all means, grab him and use him. Moving over to the Jaguars at Panthers, Gardner Minshew, another really good game. It was actually a career high for him here with 374 yards passing. He also had two passing touchdowns and seven carries for 42 yards. Even, even entering the week, he had a 4.4% DVOA on the season, and he was completing 0.9% more passes than expected, according to next-gen stats for the season. So, I mean, the more I see of Minshew, the more convinced I am that he's actually a really good player. So I think in your deeper formats, you can go ahead and grab him and use him. And in dynasty formats in particular, I think you definitely are going to want him. He seems like a really good player, and maybe in future seasons, the Jaguars will be more willing to sort of let him run the show instead of having a conservative offense built around Leonard Fournette. And they're in their pretty good defense. And the, I think the shorter term fantasy impact of Minshew's good play is going to be related to sophomore receiver DJ Chark, who had just a monster game here. Eight catches on 164 yards and two touchdowns. He almost had a third, but just missed the pylon while diving out of bounds. He had 11 targets this week and he had eight targets the previous week. So what was a situation where it was kind of a split workload between him, D.D. Westbrook and Chris Conley? I think Chark is really starting to emerge. He's up to a 27.2% wide receiver and tight end target share for the season, and Conley is down to 16.2%. So it's kind of more of a two-man show at this point, and Shark is really the fantasy option that you want anyway. Not only does he have the much superior 31.2% DVOA compared to negative 25.5% for Westbrook, Shark also has six end zone targets on the season, which is third most of the position. He's a really big target, unlike the tiny Westbrook. So I think that, that split for sure is going to continue. And I think he may end up having more targets than, than Westbrook over the rest of the year, too. Chark is one of the big pickups this week in shallow formats. For the Panthers, uh, Reggie Bonifon, the, the running back, got into this game late because Christian McCaffrey suffered some, some cramps. Nothing that's a long-term concern, but Bonifon did well. Five carries, 80 yards, and a touchdown. Kind of all built on one 59-yard um, rushing touchdown where he, he broke free. But I think the important thing here for fantasy is that Bonifon established that he is clearly the McCaffrey handcuff. I was thinking that it might be Jordan Scarlett, the rookie, that was the guy behind McCaffrey, but Scarlett still hasn't had a carry this season, and Bonifon was the one on the field exclusively after McCaffrey suffered that injury. 
So I think even in your shallow formats, you might want to go ahead and pick up Bonifon if you need to, to handcuff McCaffrey. And honestly, I really would recommend handcuffing McCaffrey because he's on pace for 435 touches from scrimmage this season. He's obviously playing great, but that's just an unbelievable volume for a pretty small player. I think you have to be a little bit concerned about a potential for injury. And, and maybe Bonifon could do well if, if he had a, a week or two that he had to spell McCaffrey. And then one last thing for the Panthers here, I'll note that the Cam Newton, he's already been ruled out for week six. Um, and that's the, the game in London there. But with the buy in week seven, wouldn't shock me if Newton was back for week eight. So maybe a little bit early to go ahead and pick him up, but something in a week or two to consider in, in your shallow formats where you need help at quarterback. He may be available um, for, for players that dropped him earlier in the season with the injury. Okay, moving over to the Falcons and Texans. Calvin Ridley, five catches for 88 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. Something I've noticed really is that Julio Jones has really not been targeted nearly as much this year as you would expect. Just a 25.3% target share, uh, wide receiver and tight end target share on the season. That's just 35th at the position. It's been a little bit more distributed. But unfortunately for Ridley, Mohamed Sanu is still pretty heavily involved with a 20.7 wide receiver and tight end target share. Ridley's at just 18.4% on the season. It's really kind of the same situation that Ridley had last year where he's getting a, a relatively small amount of targets for, for a fantasy player, but has six end zone targets on the season, tied for third most of the position. So it may be another year where it's less than 1,000 receiving yards, but close to 10 touchdowns. And you know that can work in fantasy, but it, I would prefer to see a more consistent volume here for, for Ridley. He's just really not taking over for Sanu the way I expected. For the Texans, obviously the huge day here for Deshaun Watson and the huge day for Will Fuller. 14 catches, 217 yards, and three touchdowns on 16 targets. He really benefited majorly from a plus matchup against the Falcons here. The Falcons increased passing touchdowns per attempt by 44%. That's the most in football. But then importantly, they are the number 32 DVOA defense against number two wide receivers. They already were that before this matchup where, where Will Fuller made them, I'm sure, even worse at it. But with Kenny Stills hurt with a hamstring injury, Fuller was kind of unimpeachably the second guy here and really benefited from that in, the, in that matchup. As such, I really don't expect this this sort of amazing performance here to continue for Fuller. He's always been of a bit of boom and bust player, but before Stills got hurt, he was really splitting time as the deeper target with Stills. And I think that'll probably be what happens going forward too, as soon as Stills can return in a week or two. Meanwhile, DeAndre Hopkins didn't have a great fantasy day, but he did have eight targets and he still has the 32.1% wide receiver and tight end target share that's 10th at the position. So for Fuller, I just don't think he's going to be a great fantasy option for you the rest of the way. I would say he's probably a similar value in my mind to Mike Williams of the Chargers, and I know for sure that their market values are nowhere near each other. So I'd be looking to trade Fuller in my leagues right now. Um, Hopefully you benefited from this great matchup, but I wouldn't expect anything like that anytime soon from him. Next up, speaking of those Chargers, we have the Broncos at Chargers. Um, I'll start with the Broncos, though. Cortland Sutton kind of salvaged his fantasy day with a 70-yard touchdown catch. That provided the most of his four catches and 92 yards on the day. But seven more targets here. He's up to a 33.1% wide receiver and tight end target share for the season. He's kind of eked ahead of Emmanuel Sanders there and is the seventh highest rate among all receivers in football. Meanwhile, Sutton has been really effective with a 28.4% DVOA entering the week and is a heavily targeted player in the end zone given his size. So I think Sutton is going to be probably a low-end wide receiver two, maybe high-end wide receiver three the rest of the way. And he's still available in 20% of leagues pretty much across formats, even though he has really been pretty effective and consistent so far this season. So if he's still available in your league, pick him up. I think he's going to be good. I mean, I think he's going to be better than Will Fuller the rest of the season for sure. 
And then for the Chargers, you know, Melvin Gordon came back in this game, and I think pretty clearly reestablished that he's the number one running back for the team. 12 carries compared to just three for Austin Eckler. He also had six targets on the day, which is a pretty healthy total. But Eckler obviously is still going to be involved in this offense, especially with all of the wide receiver and tight end injuries they've suffered. He had 16 targets on the day, just crazy volume. And he turned that into 15 catches for 86 yards. Didn't score a touchdown, but, you know, in PPR formats, man, Eckler still looks like a top 20 option to me. I think both he and Gordon probably can both be top 20 running back options. You know, Mike Williams, he's been playing through both, uh, or playing and then also missing one week, but playing through a knee injury and a back injury. Looked a little bit better to me in this game, and I think clearly the Chargers think he's doing better. He had 13 targets this week. Only turned that into six catches for 74 yards. But again, I think he's probably going to be better the rest of the season. I'd rather have him than Will Fuller for the rest of the year. And then the Chargers may be getting some good news this week. I think Hunter Henry, the tight end, is going to return from his injury. He, I think he, he broke his kneecap. So it was a shorter term knee injury than a lot of things like ACL tears and such. So look for that. Follow the news there. But at the worst, Henry probably be back in another week or two. He may be a guy that you should pick up in your formats if you're struggling at tight end. He'll probably be a low-end tight end one as soon as he returns for the rest of the season. Next up, we have the Packers at Cowboys. Aaron Jones had the huge game here. 19 carries for 170 or 107 yards and four touchdowns, plus seven catches for 75 yards on eight targets. I think that that explosion probably had a lot to do with Jamal Williams missing this game with a concussion. Actually, before the injury, Williams and Jones had started to split time, which really doesn't make any sense to me because Jones has just continually proven that he's the more effective player. DVOA certainly supports that opinion, both as a running back and a receiver. So I'm hoping that Jones' breakout performance here will kind of change Matt LaFleur's mind about how he wants to split up this workload here. For now, I'm going to say that Jones can be a running back too the rest of the way, but I think there's some risk here that he could lose time as soon as Williams is able to return healthy. With Aaron Rodgers, 22 of 34 for 238 yards here. He's now had less than 250 passing yards in four of his five starts. So I'd say that's a little bit alarming. I mean, a lot of people probably paid top five quarterback price for Rodgers this year, and he really hasn't given it to you. But I'll mention that I think a lot of this has been matchups related. So far this season, he's played the Bears, the Vikings, the Broncos, the Eagles, and the Cowboys. All five of those teams cut passing touchdowns per attempt compared to an average team. And all three of the Vikings, the Broncos, and the Cowboys cut passing plays compared to an average team. So I think this is a situation where the matchups have dictated that the, 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 the Packers needed to run a little bit more than usual. And even over Rodgers' full career, as effective as he's been, 37% of his career regular season games uh, before this year, he had fewer than 250 passing yards. So not altogether surprising. Rodgers still has a 6.7% DVOA on the season, so I think he's still playing well. And I think throughout the rest of the year, he'll kind of bounce back to being a top 10 quarterback option. You know, one reason he might have had a little bit lower volume this week, too, is that his number one receiver, Devontae Adams, couldn't play with his toe injury. Hopefully he'll be back soon. Neither Marquez Valdez-Scantling nor Geronimo Allison did really much in his absence. And as soon as Adams is healthy, you'll be able to drop Allison again. He's just not getting the, the volume of snaps that you need to be a fantasy option in shallow formats. For the Cowboys, playing a lot of catch-up in this game led to a lot of targets. And Michael Gallup, coming back from his injury, had 14 of them. Same number as Amari Cooper. And they're kind of a 1B and 1A situation here at wide receiver when they're both healthy. So that's good news for Gallup's fantasy value. Seven catches and 113 yards and a touchdown on the day. With as well as Dak Prescott is playing overall for the season, I think both of these guys can be top 20 options at receiver. So if, if Gallup got dropped in your leagues, go ahead and pick him back up. 
Moving to the Sunday night game, the Colts of Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, he hurt his ankle in this game but kept playing. I think he'll be playing through that injury maybe for a few weeks. And while that is going to limit his mobility, it probably won't hurt his fantasy production too much since he obviously has incredible arm talent. The bigger fantasy impact here was probably from Damian Williams, the running back. He came back for the first time in a few weeks and I think reestablished himself as the number one running back for the team. Nine carries for 23 yards, not super efficient, but three catches for five yards on four targets. Daryl Williams, who had been playing in his absence, played just 22% of the offensive snaps. So Daryl Williams, you can probably go ahead and drop in your shallow formats and pick Damian Williams back up if he's still available. At receiver, Byron Pringle kind of came out of nowhere for the big day. Six catches for 103 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. He actually played 78% of the offensive snaps, which is more than McCall Hardman at 62%. So really, I mean, the Chiefs just have too many good passing options here to make good sense of it in fantasy. And now neither Hardman uh, nor uh, Demarcus Robinson has had 100 yards total the last two games combined, and neither has scored a touchdown in two weeks. So it could be a situation where it's very difficult to pick out which guy that you want to start. But, you know, follow the news here a little bit too, where Sammy Watkins had a hamstring strain in this game. If Tyreek Hill isn't quite ready to return yet in week six, then I think you're going to probably want to start Demarcus Robinson. And in your deeper leagues, I'd think about picking up Byron Pringle too. I think he's a really good player. And if any of these other guys get hurt for an extended period of time, maybe he could become more involved. Finally, I'll mention here with the Colts, not too much fantasy takeaway from this game, kind of play the way that you expect them to play, but they're on bye in week six. So keep that in mind if, if you own Marlon Mack or T.Y. Hilton, for instance. And then finally, we'll close it up with the Browns at 49ers. Baker Mayfield, another bad day, eight for 22, passing for just 100 yards and two picks. There's really kind of an issue here going on with his playing style not really being in sync with what's going on with the roster. 2.9 second average time to throw so far this season is third in the league behind just Kirk Cousins and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I think that's leading to his 9.0 sack percentage, which is the seventh highest of 34 qualified quarterbacks. The Browns offensive line hasn't really been playing as bad as you would expect with their injuries, allowing pressure on just 25.3% of their dropbacks through week four, according to Sports Info Solutions. So, you know, they're not allowing a ton of pressure, but because he's holding the ball so long, it's leading to sacks. And I mean, it's it's not a great situation. And obviously it wasn't a great situation in week five where the 49ers were up big and, and Nick Bosa was just re- wreaking havoc there. I think you can probably actually drop Baker Mayfield in your shallow formats. There's just too many other good quarterback options available to sort of wait and see if he can turn things around for you this year. Don't feel like you have to, but I think that's an option for you if you ended up snagging a, a more attractive option off the wire. Antonio Callaway came back in this game um, from his suspension but didn't have a target. Did play 43% of the offensive snaps, so may have some deep league value for you the rest of the season. I think Demetrius Harris is still clearly their number one tight end choice. 55% of the offensive snaps versus 31% for Ricky Seals-Jones, although I don't think you want either in fantasy. And then Tevin Coleman, good to see him come back from his injury uh, in this game. Had 16 carries to lead the backfield, 97 yards and a touchdown. It's kind of a bit of a murky situation here with Coleman getting 16 carries, Matt Breda getting 11, and still Raheem Mostart getting 7. All three of those guys had between 32 and 34% of the team's offensive snaps. Um, Jeff Wilson was inactive, so that freed up the goal line work at least. But I think with how well the 49ers are playing, and given that they are far and away the leading team in adjusted line yards on offense, I think it's a situation where you're going to want to use Coleman as a running back too, even though he's splitting the workload a lot more than a lot of teams' number one guys do. You may be able to use all three of these guys in your deeper format. So if Coleman is available, I think he's the number one waiver pirate pick of the week. He's going to be pretty good for you and catch some balls too in the future weeks. 
And then before I sign off, I'll mention a couple of teams coming out of bye from this last week. We have the Lions, tight end TJ Hawkinson. I think he's going to be back from his concussion next week. He's at 16.8% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share, which is 12th at the position. He is unusual in that he's a rookie tight end. You can play in shallow fantasy uh, formats. And then for the Dolphins, two things. Mark Walton had six carries and two targets um, in week four, playing 25% of the team's offensive snaps compared to Kalen Balaj, who played just 15% and has a negative 39.3% DVOA on the season. Very bad. So I think Walton is probably taking over as the number two guy there, and you can maybe use him as a handcuff to Kenya Drake in your deeper formats, although obviously not a ton of value for the Dolphins at running back right now. And then Preston Williams. I continue to tout this guy. 29.4% wide receiver and tight end target share is, 20, is 19th among all wide receivers. I actually think his, his fantasy value isn't far behind Terry McLaurin's, but he's basically unknown in any format. I think people are probably really scared away, scared off by the Dolphins' tanking tendencies, but... One of these weeks, the six foot five Williams is going to have two touchdowns, and that's going to change the game. So I'd, I'd like to go ahead and have him on my rosters, especially in deeper formats. Okay, that's going to do it for this Tuesday's episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. Um, the show is now available on both iTunes and Google Podcasts, so please subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already done that. And then come back in two days to hear my thoughts on the best and worst matchups for week six. Thanks, and talk to you then. Thank you.